If you could, please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be focusing on verses 12 through 14. And it's been a long while since we've, uh, I've had the opportunity to exhort out of 1 John, so uh, I hope this will be a blessing for you as much as it's been a blessing for my own faith to study this passage. Let us therefore give ear to the reading of God's holy and inspired word, starting from verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Our good and gracious Father, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you inspired John to write these words for us. Help me, therefore, Father, to to complete uh, my ministry, to complete the task in preaching this word. And please help us all to have open hearts and minds to your word, to, to hear the voice of our Savior that we may profit and be made complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you for your word. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. So, in the very opening verses of 1 John, the apostle tries to challenge people who believe wrongly about their salvation. Right? All the way back from early in chapter 1, John has been trying to cut to the heart those who may talk the talk but do not walk the walk, so to speak. John has been saying that if you claim to walk with God, to to know God, to to be without sin, all while you walk in darkness, hate your brother, and don't keep the commandments, John says you're deceived. He says the Word of God is not in you. He says you remain in your sins. You have not come to know God. After all, sin both condemns and deceives. So, in the opening of 1 John, John has been shining full blast the light of truth. He's been shining the light on sin to help sinners see themselves as they truly are. And then, almost abruptly, John stops his argument. In our passage, starting at verse 12, John stops all of a sudden and says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. And then he goes into this uh, almost poetic sense of uh, repetition. And the question is, why? why? Why suddenly stop your argument? Well, because John knows that Christians can have a hard time looking at themselves objectively. Christians caught in the light of truth can hear John's words and then begin to doubt their own salvation. Do we walk in the light as God is in the light? Do we truly and fully know God? Because John gave us a litmus test. He said in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, we can know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And if I know one thing for sure, it's that none of us can keep all the commandments. None of us love our brothers and sisters as Christ loved us first. 
At the very least, then, John's words should challenge every one of us because his words reveal how we are still imperfect saints. For some Christians, when they see those dark imperfections and they hear John's words, that can cause them to question, do I genuinely walk in the light? That's why John pauses. In our passage this morning, he pauses the argument to stop, to write about what is objectively true in the Christian's life. Like a loving and tender father, John pauses his argument and narrows his scope. Instead of shining light of truth to reveal sin, he shines light to bring comfort. Instead of addressing all of humanity, John addresses you, dear Christian, and me. John emphasizes this point. Each sentence starts with the same word, just in a different tense. The first three announcements say, I am writing to you. In the subsequent three, use the aorist tense. I write to you. Your translation, if you're not using the ESV, you may say, I have written, since aorist tense verbs often function like past tense verbs. All that to say, the, the point is, John, like a loving father, wants to iterate over and over again his main points, right? He, he's kind of like a, a parent who's trying to get their child ready to leave and get in the car. Uh, I'm sure any parent here can sympathize with this conversation. I'm telling you that you need to listen. I'm telling you that you need to sit up. I'm telling you that you need to get buckled. I told you that you need to listen. I told you that you need to sit up. I told you to buckle your seat. Well, that's kind of what John's doing here. But instead of, instead of telling us to get in a car, John is telling you of the blessings of the gospel that are yours if you believe in Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. You have come to know God. You have overcome the evil one. And in the Greek, those verbs are all in the perfect tense, which means they, are, uh, they were accomplished in the past, but they remain a true to the end of the present. They were all accomplished by Christ. They were made real in your life once you were born again, but they continue to be true in you. They continue to impact you every day, dear Christian. And so we will devote our attention to these blessings this morning by following John's parallel series of announcements. We will look at the blessings that were prescribed to children, to fathers, and to young men. And note, I said prescribed, not described. I I say prescribed because the blessings don't belong only to that group. All the blessings and to prescribe to each group are for all Christians. John is clear about that in both this letter and in his gospel that he issues forth. All Christians share these blessings in common. All have been forgiven, all know God, all have overcome the evil one. Therefore, the blessings that are listed, they are not unique descriptions of each group. Rather, they are prescriptions given to each group to bring comfort in a meaningful way. The the blessings described can bring consolation and comfort no matter what stage of life you are in. And so let us turn our attention now to those blessings. First, John addresses children. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then in the parallel line in verse 13, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. When John says little children, it's important to note he's not merely addressing young adolescents. 
by little children, uh, he, he's referring to the whole church. It's the same title that he used in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. And there he's writing to the whole church, expressing his fatherly love. In our passage, John uses that same title to refer to all Christians, but he drops the possessive pronoun. It's no longer my little children, but it's little children. And that's because he's now speaking to us as God's children. To be sure, as Christians, we are all God's children. John will tell us later in the letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that is because of the Father's great love for us that we have become children of God. Jesus himself teaches in Mark 10 uh, that we all must become like children to receive the kingdom of God. And so, like children, we are all totally dependent on our Heavenly Father. We all have room to grow up. And like children, we often need a little extra guidance and encouragement. That perhaps is why John lists two separate gospel blessings to this group. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake and you know the Father. Now, these two blessings are intricately linked, and so we'll handle each in turn to see how they connect. The first blessing, forgiveness for the sake of His name, is a theme that we find repeatedly throughout the Psalms. Psalm 25, 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 79, 9, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. So in these and other similar contexts, the psalmist is overwhelmed by the roller coaster of life and his sins. He appeals to God's name, which represents the entirety of God's being and work. The psalmist asks for forgiveness, not for his own sake, but for the sake of God's name. The psalmist knows he's a great sinner. He knows he's unworthy, but he also knows he has no other way to be saved. He casts himself down at the Lord's feet and pleads for mercy. And the blessing of the gospel is that God has answered that plea. Your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And under which name was this work accomplished? the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, we are saved, and by his blood, we are forgiven. In Acts 15, 9, uh, it says that Jesus has cleansed our hearts by faith, a gift that comes apart from works, and so that he could take for himself a people for his own name. And so we forget all other names. We, We cling to the name of Jesus because it is only in his name that we have forgiveness. We cling to the name Emmanuel, God with us, because he is with us and for us. And that's important because if he's with us, Jesus says, dear dear children, if we have the Son, we have the Father. 1 John 2, 23, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And if we know Jesus, we've come to know the Father, John 14, 7. This is how John uh, can speak both of forgiveness of sins and knowing the Father, because both are on account of Jesus and what he has done. Now, these blessings can be exceptionally comforting uh, to new believers. That is often how people try to treat the term children. But if we, we, if we follow the Psalms as our guide, 
for what John means. We see that this, this prescription, this gospel blessing is prescribed to comfort anyone who, like a child, is learning to walk in the light, but stumbles and trips often. Every child longs to know and be loved by their father. Every child whom their father has uh, disciplined, that they long to be restored to their father, to, to climb up on his lap and to hear them, their father say, Daddy loves you. I forgive you. These blessings are for every child of God who wants to be assured that God the Father still loves them. Because remember, in 1 John 1, 7, John said, if we walk in the light as He, the Father, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. So if you feel like you you struggle to walk in the light, if you stumble and trip over many temptation and trial, uh, these words are the gracious provision of a Father reminding you that you know Him. You have fellowship with him. You have been forgiven through the name of Jesus Christ. And this doesn't lessen the call to holiness. In fact, it it heightens the call because it grounds the believer's assurance that they are holy and will continue to grow in holiness. Because just as children grow up to look like their parents, every child of God will grow up to resemble him more and more. This is the blessing of being forgiven and knowing the Father. Next, John addresses fathers. We have two parallels here in 1 John 2.13 and then in 2.14 it reads, I'm writing to you fathers, and here's the blessing, because you know him who is from the beginning. Notice how the announcements for children and fathers differ. John prescribed two gospel blessings for children, but to the fathers he only prescribes one. Now he he repeats it for emphasis, of course. You know him who was from the beginning. Whereas children might need more in varying words of guidance and comfort and encouragement, adults often just need to be reminded of what's really important, especially because it's easy to drift over the course of time. And what is really important? Knowing him who is from the beginning. That phrase is one of John's common ways to refer to Jesus as is seen in the very first verse of 1 John. Fathers, John is saying, fathers, you have come to know Christ Jesus, the eternal word of life, the Son of God who took on flesh, the second member of the Trinity. And here again, we we have good reason to interpret fathers metaphorically, just as we did children. Uh, John loves figurative language, and he loves to repeat himself. So it would be very odd for John to begin literally addressing Uh, men who have begot children. Also, I don't believe John only has in mind spiritual leaders in the church. Nowhere in John's writings does he ever refer to church leaders as fathers. Furthermore, the blessing of knowing Jesus is not reserved only for the church leaders. In fact, the promise of the new covenant is that all will know God from the least to the greatest. The term fathers, however, does connote maturity, This maturing in the faith is something all Christians are called to in Scripture. As it says in Ephesians 4, 13 through 14, we all are to uh, be built up to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, in that passage, Paul says that all Christians are to be brought up into maturity and learning and knowing the gospel so that we can withstand false doctrine, we can withstand cunning people, and we can withstand schemes to make us fall. This is a mark of maturity that is manifested in some more than others. Uh, But mind you, spiritual maturity uh, doesn't necessarily correlate with how long you've been a Christian, though we often see that's the case. Experience, after all, is a great teacher, and the Lord loves to use it. John likely has something similar in mind when he employs the term fathers, because in the rest of his letter, you're you're going to be called to do a lot. He's going to call you to contend for the doctrine of who Jesus is. He's going to tell you to, to love people who really are less than lovable. He's going to call you not to love the world whose desires are set so that they can trap us and snare us with their schemes. So by writing fathers, John's not excluding any Christian, but the the gospel blessing of knowing Jesus is a beneficial reminder and a prescription for those who have matured. Because the longer longer you walk in the light, the more you realize how, how tiring the Christian walk can be. Maturity does not mean the Christian life becomes easier. In fact, maturity means it actually can become easy to grow weary and tired of doing good if you aren't mindful. As you grow old in your faith, whether that be on day one or day 100 or so on, you can grow tired of the attacks. You can grow tired of loving difficult people. You can grow tired of abstaining from the things of the world. And so it's very appropriate, very appropriate that John points the fathers, the mature, back to the most basic and beautiful gospel blessing, because you can't outgrow this blessing. You know Jesus. Even the old people need to remember their Sunday school lessons. You know Jesus. So, dear fathers and mothers in the faith, you have come to know Him who existed from eternity into eternity. You've come to know him who took on flesh and dwelt among us. You've come to know him who was suffered and tempted like you, yet did not sin. You have come to know him who loved you and gave himself up for you. And this is a knowledge that can't be apprehended merely in the intellect. It's a knowledge of Jesus that possesses the the whole of who you are, that takes a seat in the most inner recesses of the heart. And it's because of that that Even though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you know him, and you can rejoice with inexpressible joy, even as you are tested and worn down. John prescribes the gospel blessing of knowing Jesus to the mature because you cannot outgrow your need to know Jesus. It is a mark of maturity to continue reveling in knowing Jesus, because it defines who you are. As Augustine of Hippo once said, all great knowledge is this, for a man to know that he himself by himself is nothing, and that whatever he is, he is from God and on account of God. 
It's not your ability to articulate theological doctrine that makes you mature. It's not your service to the church. It's not your abstaining from worldly desires. It's not even how long you've been a Christian that defines your maturity. Maturity is knowing Christ and continuing to cherish Him above all things. Indeed, Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else in the Christian life flows from the fount of knowing Jesus. So when you find yourself weary, remember what is true in you and what is most important in life. You know Jesus. You know Him who can give you rest. And so we come to the blessings prescribed to young men. In verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then John uh, repeats himself but elaborates on that in verse 14 when he writes, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So these three things are intricately uh, wedded together. They're clearly related. Uh, Again, this is metaphorical. John's not writing to uh, men between the ages 20 to 40. The the Greek neoniskoi usually refers to that age group. Pastor Drew texted me after the first service and said, I think it goes up to 56, but I'm not sure based on my research if that's true. That being said, this is metaphorical still. But as we look at young men, young adults, what do we see that can help us interpret the metaphor? Well, young adults, they're characteristically more vigorous, but they're often in the middle of figuring out their life still. At least I know I am. In contrast with the more, the aged, the mature, the young adults are figuring out their careers. They're completing their education. They're, they're navigating raising young children. And in contrast with children, young adults have greater responsibility and capability to take care of themselves. But with all the spinning plates they have to juggle, inevitably something will fall. And sometimes it makes a big mess. Likewise, some Christians have a sense of vitality and order in their Christian life, but they can't manage it all because no one can. You may feel good about your Christian walk. For the most part, you're not living in big active sins. You've made progress in your sanctification, but inevitably, some sin or failure keeps rearing its ugly head. These youthful passions keep popping up, and you can get trapped in the devil's snare. I think you can all sympathize with how it feels uh, to keep getting trapped by some sin that you, you just can't seem to escape. No matter how many times you put it away, it comes back to get you. It's like you're addicted to it. Perhaps the sin is literally an addiction. Now, the sin could be just about anything, so long as it, it has this deep root in your heart and it leads you away from righteousness. And just when you think you've overcome it, just when you think you beat it, you find yourself snared again. What comfort is there for the Christian who, though by and large, they have their life under control, what comfort do you give them when they continue to feel defeated by certain ensnaring sins? John prescribes this gospel blessing. You have already overcome the evil one. To the one who feels trapped by the snares of sin and the devil, John says, the battle's already won. In Christ, Christians have victory over the powers of the devil. 
Jesus has overcome the world, John 16, Jesus has cast down the ruler of this world, that is Satan, John 12, 21. Sin, death, and guilt, a guilty conscience, these have all been conquered. And this is good news, not just for the young adults, but for all of us. It's valid for all of us. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But this gospel blessing particularly brings comfort for those who struggle against the snares of specific sins. After all, Satan is still at work today, trying to harm the children of God. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Spiritual warfare is very much a reality today. And to resist, you need strength. And when you come to the end of the strength, when you've mustered everything you have inside of you and it's not enough, where do you go? John says you already have a strength. John says you are strong because if you believe in the gospel, the spiritual strength comes from the word of God that abides in you. John likely uses the phrase word of God here to refer to the word of life, the divine message that has come to us uh, by and through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, Christians are made strong. Through him, we overcome the devil and death. His word is implanted in us, abiding in our hearts to be a constant source of strength and life. And this gospel blessing is always true. It is always true, even when you feel ensnared. When you fall, God has given you the strength and means to escape. When you resolve to to hate sin, to put it to death again and walk in the light, God's implanted and abiding word will lead you. When the devil roars against you, listing all your weaknesses and tempting you to despair, Jesus has an answer. Jesus says, you are strong. The war is real. Your failures are real. But the outcome is already settled. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the teeth of the roaring lion have been pulled, the fangs of the serpent removed. Jesus protects you from evil. He frees you to fight. So take comfort. Take comfort in Christ's conquering. Through Christ who loves you, you too have become more than conquerors. You too will conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Revelation 12, 11. You are marching on to victory, though it may not always feel like it. What a comfort. What a blessing. As we begin to wrap up, I I want to draw attention to the fact that while children, fathers, and young adults, they, they had their differences. But in fact, they actually had much more in common than they had anything different because they all struggle with sin. Children who are just learning to walk in the light and stumble often, fathers who are mature but can grow weary, young men who, despite their strength, just cannot seem to beat these particular passions. They all struggle with sin. And and so I repeat myself, I stress myself 
just like John. I want to be just like John and love to repeat myself. All these blessings of the gospel are true in each and every one of you who has believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you came here this morning feeling downcast in your soul. In the sermon, I've labored to show you the comforting prescriptions of the gospel because each is written to you. And I pray that at least one of those blessings has comforted you in some way because it does not matter how long you've been a Christian. It does not matter because you have been forgiven. You know God. You have overcome the evil one. Maybe you've been a believer all your life and all of a sudden you, you find yourself acting like a child, stumbling over your own two feet in sin. Remember, you have been forgiven. You know the Father. Maybe you are young but mature, and you just find yourself growing tired and unable to keep going. Remember, you know Him who was from the beginning. And maybe you find yourself wrestling again with a sin you thought was long dead. Remember, you have overcome the evil one. All these blessings stem from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are yours through Him. For his name's sake, he has forgiven you. Through through knowing Jesus, you know the Father. And because Jesus overcame Satan at the cross, his victory is yours, and his word strengthens you. But if you have not believed in the gospel, nothing I said applies to you. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ, John is not writing to you. The gospel blessings are only for those who have come to the end of themselves and cast themselves down at Jesus' feet, believing in his death and bodily resurrection. And so I implore you, I tell you, if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And then during those times, when you find yourself discouraged as you see your mounting failures and your sins piling high, then you can take John's words here to heart. Your sins and struggles do not define your salvation. Your salvation rests in Christ alone. Richard Smith said you have to quote John Calvin to wake people up, so I'll I'll, I'll close with this. John Calvin said, Let us not seek any other ground of assurance than God's own testimony. God testifies that these things are true of you because you have believed in the gospel by faith. And he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we so often, we struggle to see ourselves as you see us. Give us eyes to see the work you are doing in us and in our brothers and sisters. Like children, help us to depend on you. Grow us up into maturity. Remind us of the strength we have through Christ. And give us the mind of Christ that we may always cherish these gospel blessings that are ours through him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.